Good morning and Merry Christmas. It is Christmas Eve, everybody. December 24th, 2023. This is episode 24. No, 25. That's right. The episode number is one ahead of the day it is, at least for the time being. So Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope today is filled with excitement and family and love and that all of the relatives visiting, you are able to have very open, effective political discussions with your crazy uncle from the Midwest and that you're all enjoying this time together. Um... I talked a little bit about my feelings on Christmas yesterday, so I don't think I'm going to dwell on that. I am, however, am going to bring up probably the most controversial topic in the world right now. Just both sides are just unwilling to listen to the other side. It's leading to chaos and so much contention. I am, of course, referring to the great debate of should comics be doing crowd work? Oh, see what I did there? A little misdirect, but you all saw it coming. You know I wasn't going to bring up anything serious. So this whole crowd work thing has become a bit of a hot button lately. I've seen comics talking about it on their podcasts, and I have now seen two pretty famous uh, well-established stand-up comedians um, bring attention to it in their own way. I saw Mark Marin do a TikTok video where he's sort of satirizing comics who do who put up videos of them doing crowd work on TikTok, which, by the way, I'm one of them. And then uh, Gary Goleman's uh, recent HBO comedy special, which I watch, which, by the way, is a brilliant, as Gary Goleman always is. Uh, Gary Goleman, uh, he just made a little tongue-in-cheek joke. So kind of near the start of his, his uh, routine, he just goes to the front row and he said, I want you to know, front row, that you are safe. I am not going to ask any of you what you do for work and then make fun of you or something like that. So, you know, it's, and, you know, again, and I've heard other comics on podcasts be kind of critical of this whole crowd work phenomenon, which I, my suspicion is the reason it has blown up recently is because of Matt Reif, of course, because Matt Reif got famous putting clips of himself doing crowd work online and then all of the wannabe comics, such as myself, go, oh, well, I'm really good at doing crowd work. Um, so I'm going to do crowd work and film it and then post it online and then hopes that one day that'll lead me to the same fame and fortune of Matt Reif. So you can see how us comics have derived that, um, you know, that strategy. So sort of the two camps of debate that I'm here. Well, I'm not actually hearing anything from the other side. Right now, I'm only hearing those uh, comics who have been critical of it. And sort of their criticism, which I think is valid, is that stand-up comedy in its essence is actually technically supposed to be a written 
art form. It is a comic who has written down material, written down jokes, refined that material, and when they go in front of an audience, they are presenting this crafted, honed, uh, comedic material. And of those genres or of the comics who do that, you know, there there's a couple of different sort of subcategories you can be more of a joke teller such as like a Stephen Wright or like an Anthony Jesselneck who really is just up there telling handcrafted jokes they have refined their joke writing and joke telling ability as well as their persona and all of that over years and years and years and years and so when you go see Anthony Jesselneck um, or maybe like a Dimitri Martin you know that you are going to hear really, really funny, brilliant joke telling. Um, sort of on the other side of that would be more of um, those who do monologues, um, like a Mike Birbiglia, a Gary Goleman is that way, to where they are expressing their life experiences through a monologue, which has, again, been crafted into a joke structure, but... Um, it's a little bit more of a um, narrative joke telling. And you kind of have everything in between. You get like your Bill Burrs, who's um, really is monologuing, although, you know, he, he's a lot more expressive and people say that he's ranting or whatever. It's like, yeah, he's ranting, but uh, those rants are also meticulously crafted. And I know that because I have heard him do these rants in multiple uh, venues at different times, and they are actually word-for-word word identical. So even though it sounds like he's just ranting about something, he has, through whatever his process is, handcrafted a very meticulously thought-out monologue, which he expresses in, in sort of a, a, a ranty way, but it is very much scripted, honed, refined over countless hours of writing, refining, performing, testing it, see how it goes, back to the drawing board, refine, tweak this, tweak that, tweak this, tweak this, and then after a tremendous amount of work, you they present this, this monologue of written, performed material, and sort of the the kind of pulling back the curtain behind what makes stand-up comedy so brilliant is these comedians are able to present that material as though it's spontaneous. That's that's sort of the trick, is it sounds like Bill Burr is just off the top of his head, just complaining about feminism or complaining about, you know, uh, overweight people or whatever it is, is that he's doing. And he's so good at it that again it sounds spontaneous but the reality is is he has meticulously honed that material over a pretty rigorous process now he's been doing it long enough that maybe it you know the process isn't as rigorous as for some of us who are still honing our craft but um but any pretty much any famous legendary comedian that you can point to most likely is performing refined handcrafted material. So what is crowd work? 
Now, even crowd work has some caveats, but crowd work theoretically is actually spontaneous. At least it's supposed to be. Now, again, there there is an asterisk there. There are some comics who will do the illusion of crowd work. So they will ask some in the audience. And by the way, crowd work, for those of you who aren't comedians, crowd work is just simply talking one-on-one with somebody in the audience. Hey, sir, what's your name? What do you do for a living? Oh, are you two a couple? How long have you two been together? So it's when they break the presentation, sort of break that fourth wall, and then actually interact with um, the audience in front of them. So anyway, so there are some comedians who will interact with the audience and act like it's a spontaneous conversation, but in reality... They actually are just getting to back to their material, like I talked about. But for whatever reason, let's say that they have a joke about marriage. And so to get into the bit about marriage, they like to go, oh, well, hey, I see you two here. Are you two together? Yes or no? And it's not really what I would consider crowd work because what the audience member say is actually irrelevant. They it doesn't matter what the audience says. They they are actually just using that as sort of a gateway or a transition to get into their, again, their written material about um, marriage or relationships or whatever it is. So even if the people say, oh, yes, we've been married for 10 years. Oh, they've been married for 10 years. Give them a round of applause. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I've been married for whatever. Um, and even even if the audience members say like, Oh, no, we're not even married. This is my sister. Oh, that's your sister. Oh, okay, well, cool. Well, I've been married for, you know, so it doesn't really matter. Now, what I'm seeing a lot of and what I've been doing is you go to the crowd, but the conversation actually is spontaneous. You don't actually know what they're going to say. And then whatever they do say, you... The, the, the comedian in this case actually has a genuine, spontaneous sort of response. Now, comedians who have been doing it long enough, you know, they may have sort of like an arsenal of sort of pre-canned, uh, you know, responses. Um, you know, comedians who have been on the road long enough, usually like they can go to any town. Oh, where are you from? And if they say St. Louis... They've been doing it long enough that they have like five St. Louis references or whatever. So I'm I'm not saying that there isn't sort of a hybrid of spontaneity and pre-planned program jokes. But in its essence, it is intended to be a spontaneous uh, conversation with the audience. So the... The feedback and the criticism, first of all, that I'm hearing from these sort of more legendary established comics is that that isn't really stand-up. And there is some truth to that because, yes, it's, it's a comic who is not presenting a refined monologue. They are breaking script or maybe they don't have a script in the first place, to sort of have this spot spontaneous conversation. So, now, why would legendary, um, established 
comedians like a Mark Marin, who's legendary and brilliant, or like a Gary Goleman. Well, and by the way, I don't know if Gary Goleman actually has a problem with it. I just know that he sort of did a tongue in cheek joke, pretty much tipping his hat to the audience saying, by the way, I'm not going to do crowd work. And even Matt Reif, this is what's interesting. So if you watch Matt Reif's comedy special, which I know was controversial in its own right, at the very end, what did he do? He ended his special by saying, but what would I know? I'm just, I just do crowd work and drop the mic. And why did he do that? Because he did his entire Netflix special. He didn't do crowd work. He did zero crowd work. And based off of the way that he ended it, what I picked up from that was he has received a tremendous amount of criticism, probably from legendary established comics saying, well, Matt Reif isn't really a comedian. He only does crowd work. And he's been sort of lampooned for that. And now there is this sort of um, backlash towards any comic who does crowd work. And I will say this, even when I started doing stand-up comedy, there is sort of this... Um, assumption that when a comic starts doing crowd work, it's because they're nervous, they've ran out of material, things aren't working, and because their monologue, because their prepared, crafted material isn't good enough or isn't working or they got stuck or whatever, that they kind of get nervous. And so their only recourse, it's kind of like a ripcord of like, things aren't going well with my comedy uh, hey, you two, uh, what's your names? Where, where are you from? And by the way, there's actually some legitimate truth to that. And I've had that experience. I've had that experience recently, not super recently, about a year and a half ago. Um, I had been sort of out of the game a little bit, you know, kind of coming out of COVID. I had moved, I got into this new relationship and I wasn't doing stand up regularly. And then I got this headlining opportunity. And so I just wasn't, on my A game. I hadn't been practicing as much. I wasn't in game shape as you were. And I had five shows that I was headlining and the third show went really bad. And it started off really bad for me. My material, my monologue wasn't working. And I was like, this crowd is not feeling me. I need to drop this material and just start interacting with them. And that's exactly what I did. I started talking to these uh, two women in the front row and started to get them laughing. I got the crowd back on my side and I pretty much just ended the show. Um, so one unique thing that I do with my crowd work is I don't just do crowd work. It's I usually have my keyboard on stage. And when I do my crowd work, I then take all of the information, which is spontaneous. I do not have an agenda when I do crowd work. I literally do want to see what happens in the moment, see what they say, see what they respond to, and start to riff with them and just kind of off the cuff make my own opinions and thoughts or whatever about what they're saying, let the interaction build, and then all of that culminates with me then going to the piano and I improvise a song about this crowd interaction. And you can see me doing that. I have examples of that on my social media. And it's one of the most um, fulfilling elements of my performance for me as a performer and the feedback that I get from the audience. Is I'll ha I will have those people come to me after the show and tell me how exciting that was. 
when I was in Oregon last weekend, there was a, a table right in front of me and it was a mom and her husband and her kids and one of her in-laws. So there was like five of them and it was her birthday. And so I just started talking to her, found out all this information about her and her kids and her dad I and mean, her husband. And while they are talking to me, I am riffing off what they're saying and improvising spontaneous jokes and thoughts. And everybody's having a great time. And then I took all that information and I improvised a song about them. And it was like standing ovation, cheers. People loved it because of how present and spontaneous it was. Now, would me doing that also warrant the criticism that the more these kind of legendary comics are expressing. And yeah, because that 10 minutes or whatever was not me presenting a monologue, presenting jokes. Um, so, and I, and I, and I totally get that because it is a very different skill set. And I, and my, my gut feeling as to why, the, the you know the comics who are critical of that is because i think in their mind it's not honoring the true craft of stand up comedy although it appears like it's stand up comedy it actually is something different it is it's really improvisation so but i started as an improviser so improvisation actually is my skill set so when I do that, when I go into crowd work, what I'm doing is I am now creating sort of a hybrid entertainment experience where I am no longer doing stand-up. I'm doing this improvisational element as part of my overall stand-up comedy routine. And, and I think there's also an element of maybe there's a little bit of resentment that Matt Rife is wildly famous now as a stand-up comedian when he didn't really get famous for doing stand-up comedy you know i think it's <laughs> it's like that thing i just watched a bunch of stefan videos um it's like that thing so I, I i you know i think it's a similar frustration to where you know when, when uh you know like a like a pop singer gets a big acting role, you know, like Lady Gaga gets to go act in, uh, in, uh, a star is born because she's a famous pop singer singer, not necessarily because she's an actor. And there are probably actors who go, well, she's not really an actress. I am the actress. I am the true artist who have, who has honed the meticulous craft of acting and, they're only putting Lady Gaga in this movie because she's already famous and is going to bring an audience. And it's it's like kind of like, yeah, probably. And she also happened to be a really talented actress. But is she as, talent, as talented as an actress as, you know, a Meryl Streep? Well, pro probably not. So anyway, I, I feel this starts to get to sort of a bigger debate about show versus show business art versus artist uh you know art versus entertainment 
And you know, it, it, it it's kind of the same argument, you know, when when like a a a more sort of indie rock band goes mainstream. Oh, they sold out, you know, like I don't know, like maybe Maroon Five. Look, well, the first album was so raw. And then they just started doing pop love songs or whatever. Or like, oh, Taylor Swift, you know, she was supposed to be country music. And then she just turned into cheesy pop songs or whatever. Or, oh, he's not really a stand-up comedian. He's just doing crowd work to get famous on TikTok or whatever. And I get that. I get that. And here is my overall opinion on that. Who who cares how somebody expresses themselves and expresses their art and also how they are trying to make a living? And I can get the resentment. I can get the resentment of somebody who is, you know, honing a craft meticulously and, and it means so much to them that this craft to be taken seriously and then some hack who maybe skipped four or five levels in the trenches but gets successful and gets a following especially if they are getting that following not because of their commitment to the craft. I can understand how that would be be frustrating. And to me, that's just a, a much bigger um, frustration with, you know, the, the world just doesn't, re isn't really fair like that. You know, um, I've been, uh, I don't know if you all know who Lindsey Sterling is. She, she's been popping up on, on my uh, TikTok a lot lately. So, She's a violin player and a dancer, and she blew up on YouTube as she plays violin and dances. So she sort of combined these two separate um, art forms, and man, she received so much criticism. She was on America's Got Talent. She got lampooned by, I think it was Tucker Carlson was on there, just said, you know, you're not good enough dancer or violin player, whatever he said. So... In the meantime, she just stayed true to herself, and now she's selling out massive arenas and tours and and living her dream, dancing and playing the violin. Now, is she the most meticulous violin player out there? It's like, probably not. There's probably violin players who could play her out of the water who are, you know, violining for, you know, the New York Philharmonic. And that might be frustrating to them that they have dedicated their entire life to the craft of the violin and nobody knows who they are and they're not famous and they probably have to sort of struggle to make ends meet, but they are an incredible violin player. Probably in the same token, there are probably people who are much better dancers than Lindsey Sterling, you know, who are trying to get into... Uh, the ballet or whatever, and they are meticulous with their craft of ballet dancing, and it might be frustrating to them that Lindsey Sterling, who's a good dancer, but probably hasn't honed and crafted the art of dancing like somebody else. But why does she get to be famous and make millions, and the the you know the the rest of us don't? And I get that life is kind of like not fair like that, but 
at the same time, um, that's that's what called to Lindsay Sterling. That's what was in her heart is she wanted to create this art form where she dances around the stage and, and plays violin. And it's incredibly entertaining to millions and millions and millions of people. There are, I guarantee there are more talented singers and guitar players than Taylor Swift and who have studied singing and studied guitar and they could lay Taylor Swift under the table on guitar and could sing circles around her. So why does she get to be the the the, the famous millionaire? You know, I, I don't know. Um but I'm just getting to this point to where I don't I don't have room in my heart to be critical of another artist and how they're going about it and how they've been able to become successful because success in and of itself is so difficult. And if somebody has the capacity to be successful at all, I'd say go for it and understand that no matter what you do, somebody's going to criticize you for it. Somebody's not going to be happy. Somebody's going to have an opinion about it. Somebody's going to resent you. Anybody who's successful, somebody's going to resent you for it. Um, and so, but those people also aren't your target demographic. You know, comics who want to criticize other comics for how they got an audience to laugh. But, you know, that audience was laughing for the wrong reasons. They were laughing because that stand-up comedian had the audacity to do crowd work and get an audience laughing and connected to the show as opposed to what that comedian evidently should have done, according to those who are being cr critical of this, is, well, he should have written better jokes and better material. And it's like, well, that's probably always true. But that audience was entertained. And if that comedian is good enough at crowd work, to, that's to how they build their audience, like, you know, like a Matt Reif is going, well, that's what the people wanted to hear. And... People who don't like crowd work aren't going to go see Matt Reif perform. And, you know, well-accomplished violin players who are offended that Lindsay's playing pop songs on the violin and dancing instead of honing uh, Shostakovich violin concerto. I don't know if Shostakovich had a violin concerto, by the way. You know... Well, those violin play players probably aren't going to go see Lindsey Sterling, and they're going to have to find their own path as an artist and find where their violin playing is appreciated and how they can be successful at it. So, you know, myself as a comedian, I love doing crowd work. I love interacting with the audience. And I am also aware that that can be a crutch. So at the same time, I am meticulously working on my stand-up comedy craft and learning how to write jokes and learning how to write materials and how do I be vulnerable and how honest do I need to be and how transparent do I need to be and how can I take my experiences, my thoughts and opinions and hone those into jokes and punchlines that are ubiquitously entertaining or at least universally entertaining enough to where people want to come hear me tell those jokes. But at the same time, I am also an improviser at heart, and I love interacting with the audience. I love taking that audience information and handcrafting it into an improvised song. And I did that on my recent comedy special, which you can watch on YouTube, 
where I interviewed this amazing couple in the front row and had incredible interactions and the conversation was totally spontaneous. I had no idea what they were going to say. All my reactions are genuine and I had no pre-canned jokes. Well, if they say they're married, I'm going to say X, Y, and Z. And then I took all that spontaneous information, turned it into an improvised song, and then went right back to my monologue afterwards. That's what's fun for me. That's how I entertain the audience. So all the entertainers and artists out there, find your, if if it's a hybrid sort of performance that you're doing, like Lindsey Sterling, who's combining violin, pop music, and dancing, and that's what's speaking to you, and that's what you want to do, go and do it, and people will have a problem with it, and you'll get criticism, but you're going to get any dreamer out there, you are going to get criticized no matter what you do. It is impossible to not receive criticism no matter what route you go. So if it's in your heart and that's what's speaking to you, go and do it and understand that there may be people who have a problem with it, even people you respect. Like I, I respect Mark Marin and Gary Goldman like you wouldn't believe those two are legends to me and both of them have recently criticized in their own way comics who do crowd work which i'm one of them so i have now been criticized by indirectly by two legendary comics who i have the most respect for comics who i actually would pay and see so i'm in their demographic and the reality is I don't think those two comics will ever pay to see me do stand-up comedy, even if I only w was doing stand-up comedy. So, you know, so that's the reality of it. But um, I'm going to continue to do me and hone my, my craft and my comedy and my art and put it out there in the manner that speaks to me and find the audience that it resonates with and have so much fun and joy and incredible experiences doing it. It's like, you're going to be critical that I do crowd work. You have no idea how incredible the experience I just had doing crowd work in Oregon to those people was and how much it meant to that audience and the incredible feedback that I got that I did that. So... That audience was entertained. Are you not entertained? And it was in my heart and I was being authentic. So, you know, uh, do you and express your art and be authentic and go live your dreams and do your best to, uh, to block out anybody even when it's it's hardest when it's coming from people who genuinely do know what they're talking about and are genuinely respected and legendary so i hear that but i think that is really when you start to establish yourself as an artist is is when nobody no matter who they are can tell you otherwise Ooh. that you are so authentic and confident with what you're doing and who you are that oh I, okay well one of the greatest comedians ever disagrees with what I'm doing well I guess I just got disagreed with with one of the greatest comedians ever because I 
am still going to continue to do this and find whatever success comes my way from me being authentic in how I want to express my art and express my comedy. So, woof. Wow, I think this might be the longest uh, podcast yet. I went on that rant for about 32 minutes here on a Christmas Eve morning. So whatever that means to all of you, I hope it's uh, helpful in that you are out there living your dreams on your terms and letting uh, whoever wants to have a problem with it have a problem with it. Keep doing you. Uh, keep expressing yourself. Uh, going for what it is that you're seeking unapologetically uh, with all of the love and passion and drive in your heart. And I wish you all of the success in your dreams and however you find that success, as long as you're not being a jerk. That's a whole different thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're being authentic and pursuing your dreams in your heart, you do you and you have my full support and love and confidence. So Merry Christmas to all of you here on December 24th, 2023, episode 25 of the Paul Green Comedy Podcast. I love you all so much. Have a great holiday, and I will talk to you tomorrow on Christmas. Bye-bye.